The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you would, please turn with me to the book of Mark. We're going to start in chapter 1. We're starting a brand new series this week. And we are going to go through the entire book of Mark. Uh, it's going to take us at least until Easter. Uh, as I've gotten into it, I was supposed to try to take a half chapter <clears throat> a week, but we're, um, you know, I'm preaching shorter a little bit because I know some of you feel like you're suffocating. Uh, and then, you know, once I get into these texts and really start digging, like I'm already going to have to leave gems in the chest today. Uh, so... I don't know. It might take us till after Easter, but we're going to go through the entire Gospel of Mark. I'm really excited about it. Uh, as you guys are turning there, I just want to kind of just call something out, put it out there in the open. Uh, we did ask everyone that could, was able to, to wear masks this week. And uh, I just want to say that in the order that the governor gave, there are exceptions to that. And so those exceptions apply here. And uh, what we're not going to do is we're not going to alienate anyone or make them prove that they meet those exceptions uh, we actually sent a lengthy email, uh, and I know it was lengthy, so those of you that read it, thank you, outlining our position on all of this. If you didn't get that, uh, or you don't get email communication from us and you want to, hit us up on the website and we'll get your name added into uh, the list. But if you, didn't, if you got the email and didn't read it, which you may not be aware of, we can actually see that in the back-end metrics. Ooh, bummer, right? Uh, actually, we can see who opens the links to the articles I asked you to read. <laughs> now, I haven't looked at it because I don't have time, but I could. So, do with that what you will. Uh, but if you did get the email and didn't read it, please take the time to do that. It's important, above all else, that we're in unity as much as we can be about these things. It's tough. This is rough, isn't it? There's a lot of weird stuff. Singing in that, my mouth's all fogged up. This is weird. But we're doing our best to be biblically faithful and... Uh, that's really the bottom line, and to love one another well through it. Can you say amen to that or no? Okay, good. All right, so we're in the Gospel of Mark. Why is this a rad book? Well, I'll give you some reasons. It was probably the first gospel written uh, of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are a lot of quotations, it seems, in the other gospels from the book of Mark. So most scholars put it around 50 AD, which would be one of the earliest gospels Written. It was written by a guy named John Mark. Uh, he was a ministry partner of Peter's. And many believe, and there's good reason to think this, that Peter provided the eyewitness accounts contained in the book of Mark. So Mark was kind of the scribe. Most people that know what they're talking about would say that Peter probably provided the source material for this. So that's exciting for me because as much of a, a bumbledore as Peter is at times, uh, that's the brother that Jesus picked to lead his disciples. And there's, there's a reason for that. Okay. The uh, Gospel of Mark is, is characterized as being action-packed. It's, it's, it focuses more on the deeds of Jesus than the words of Jesus. So as we go through this, you'll, you'll see that. It's a lot about him doing the work of the kingdom. Not that he doesn't say anything, but the focus is definitely on, on his deeds. So uh, we're going to read the first 13 verses together, and then we're going to work through those. And um, I don't know, there's people from all different kinds of traditions and backgrounds here. Maybe you're thinking, oh my goodness, we're going to go all the way to Easter and maybe longer working in one book of the Bible. That sounds like it might get monotonous. Can I just encourage you that this 
is super important that we do this, that we take books of the Bible. We also do topical preaching when it's appropriate. It's real important that we work through books of the Bible verse by verse because when Paul was instructing Timothy and, and others about what it is we're supposed to be focusing on doing as the church, uh, one of the main things is that we are, we are studying and staying in the Word of God. This is the, the spiritual food for Christians. And so it's real important that we take that seriously and that we, uh, from time to time, we just go, we go right through a book so that we're, we get the context and we're not just kind of popping and grabbing verses. It, it rounds us out and makes us more circumspect in our faith. And so I hope you can summon at least half the excitement I have about the fact, because we've been doing this a while, we've not tackled a whole gospel yet, okay? So Mark's our first run at it. We've done other books, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. All right, verses 1 through 13, uh, book of Mark, chapter 1, let's go. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Praise God for his word. Amen. So we're going to go back and look at verses 1 through 4, which primarily are a kind of a mashup between some prophecies from Malachi and Isaiah. But what we see here is something pretty incredible, that 700, so the, the bulk of this, this kind of repeat here is from Isaiah, which was written 700 years before the arrival of Jesus in the historical timeline. And so not only do we see that Isaiah prophesies in excruciating clear detail Jesus coming, but also prophesies about the coming of John the Baptist. And this is just another one of those things that I think points to the reality of the truth of the scriptures, right? How do you, 700 years, man, that's a long time. And yet we're calling out details about what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And then it, and then it's not just, oh, we forgot about that. So it's okay. It actually comes to pass. Amen. Big deal. Uh, we see here that you know, conspicuously missing from Mark's gospel is the account of Jesus' birth, right? Matthew gets into that a lot. Luke gets into that a lot. Uh, and, and part of what, the reason for that is that it's, it's highly likely Mark was written for a Roman audience. And so for the Romans, they knew someone important was coming. And, and the message here of John is that somebody's coming. Somebody greater than me is coming. And it was customary for the Romans that if, you know, for sure, an emperor, but a governor, a high-ranking military official, somebody with some clout was going to come into a city or come into a place, they would have a herald go before them and 
So people knew someone important was coming because a herald popped up and started saying, hey, somebody's coming, get ready. And so that's, that's the focus and the lens here. And so the Romans would have been much more interested in the fact that Jesus had a herald sent by God before. <laughs> he didn't, Jesus didn't just pop up. He's so important that someone had to come and say he's coming. Let, let, let you know, right? Amen. So that's part of what's going on there. Uh, we see that in this prophecy, he's talking about uh, make ready the way of the Lord and, and make his paths straight. And so when you, when you look at the, the language of what that's really talking about, it's, it's very close to and almost like, like road building. Like what you would do if you were building. So if you're building the road, think about the highway system that was built in the U.S. What, what do you do if you build a road? Well, you're going you're gonna to knock hills out of the way or... You know, some, some of the roads we built in this country, we didn't do that. You know, we just <laughs> up over the hill, around the bend. You know, you can't always make it totally sure. But the point here is what he's talking about is it's about removing barriers and like building bridges. So it's, it's making a straight path so that this important person isn't hindered by, you know, foolish stuff that might stumble, you know, or slow down what he's come to do. It's make, clear a way for him. All right. So the question is, how is he doing? What is the work of clearing the way for Jesus to come and to do what he was called to do? What does that look like? Well, what it tells us is that uh, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so the way this herald was coming, the job that he had was to call people as a, as a road builder before Jesus the Messiah comes. What's important to happen? What's going to get stuff out of the way so that people can actually receive Jesus and his message? The road building was calling people to repentance. This baptism of John the Baptist is, is not like believer's baptism. It was, it was different. It was a baptism specifically for repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, it, it couldn't yet be the fullness of what believer's baptism is because we are being baptized in the likeness of Christ going down into death and coming up in new life, right? So this was a different thing. This was, he was calling people to repentance, calling people to, and, and primarily the way he was saying to them, hey, you need to check yourself. It's, it's time to think about how you've been living, what you've been thinking, what you're allowing uh, to be your God, right? His message was, someone's coming. Someone's coming. And because they're coming, we need to have our hearts right, okay? Not much different <laughs> than how we would talk about it today, right? Because Jesus came, but he's coming again. And repentance is still a primary job of those who are called to be heralds for Christ. Thankfully, because of what Jesus has done, it's not just John the Baptist out in the wilderness in, you know, wearing camel hair and eating locusts. It's everyone of us are now called to be heralds. We're all called to prepare the way of the Lord, to call people to repentance, to walk in the love of God, and to, in so doing, you know, the Bible talks about the kindness of God drawing men to him, right? And so as we live out what it is Jesus has done in us, we're also preparing the way. Uh, much, much in the, the fashion that John the Baptist did. This brings us down to verse 5. It says, And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. A, a lot more could be said about this. I'm, I'm just going to show you something that you, may not jump out at you right off the bat. 
in our last series and for the last several weeks, because of our cultural moment and things that are um, up front and in the center at this moment, we've been making an attempt to show how the Bible brings an answer to some of the big questions and big debates of our day. I think that's always our job as good missionaries, is to be thinking about that. And, and part of what we can see here in verse 5 that may not be fully apparent to you, this is yet another piece of evidence that proves this point, this premise. The premise is that the gospel is the greatest force for real racial justice and equality that is, has ever or will ever exist. Now, you're probably thinking, hold on, let me read that again. What does this have to do? Is this guy just stretching and hoping to find something in the text so he can address racial justice again? Man, I'm so tired of hearing about that. Well, don't get tired of it because we need to keep talking about it, okay? Because what's not being talked about a whole lot, this is why our voice matters. This is why us being heralds matters. Because there's a whole lot of talking about these things going on, but the talking isn't coming from the lens of the scriptures. The talking is coming from all these other philosophies and ideas of men, and it's not going to actually help. We need to, if somebody is going to, somebody's got to, and it needs to be us. We have to believe that the greatest force for bringing healing to these issues is Christ's gospel and his word. Can you say amen to that? If you're going to say amen to anything today, it'd be right there. It'd be a great spot. Awesome. So here's, here's I'm going to show you why this speaks to that, why this is yet another evidence that without reading carefully, without understanding, this is why we got to go verse by verse through books of the Bible, okay? Because you could read this a hundred times and you never pick this up. And if I was preaching a hundred sermons and we weren't just going verse by verse, I may not have the time to stop and deal with this one really cool thing in verse five. Let me show you this. When, what it says is they were all coming from Judea and Jerusalem being baptized by John in the Jordan River. Okay, what does that have to do with this, all of the stuff that I just mentioned? Here's what it has to do with it. Traditionally, Jews would have been sprinkled for, if they were doing a baptism of repentance of sin. The only time they dunked somebody was when they had a really dirty, nasty Gentile who was being converted into Judaism, then they took him and said, all right, now, now, we got to put you all the way down, hold, hold you like this, and then bring you back up. Do you see the beauty of what is already being stated here, what comes out of this reality, that John came and he wasn't just sprinkling people, he was putting everybody on the same plane. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're of the household of God, or you're a Gentile, we all are in need of repentance in a serious way that needs to be symbolized, not just with a sprinkle, we're going to dunk you, and we're going to humble you when we do it, because we're going to do it in the Jordan River, the same river that Naaman was offended that, that the prophet said he should go and bathe in. It was not a, a, a pristine, babbling brook that you would want to be baptized in and get, you know, have your Instagram baptism photo at. Okay? This was a dirty river. And so part of what, part of what calling people to repentance is doing is, is it's this message that is throughout the scriptures that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Guys, I, I am thoroughly convinced I could get up here every single week and just talk to you about walking in the love of God and walking in humility, and I would not do you a disservice. Because they, that is so important. It's so vitally key to what it is God is doing in us. And here we see it again. This humbling, that in order for people to come out and to respond to John's message of repentance, they knew as Jews they were going to get dunked just like a Gentile. What does the gospel do? It evens the playing field. We're all sinners and we're all broken and we all have one shot at not being. And it's coming to Christ. Flat out. Amen. We wouldn't have seen that if we weren't taking step-by-step -step walk through the book of Mark. And I'm telling you right now, 
The, the scriptures are anti-racist, flat out. And they're the only ones that have the power to back it up and, and show us a way to solve some of the issues that we're dealing with. And uh, <clears throat> friends, I'm just going to say it again. We have to believe that. I know I've been saying that in different ways for the last five, six weeks. I know I keep repeating myself, but I also know we need help to, to really believe that the answer is found in God's word. Amen. Not just for that ill, but for all the ills that the brokenness of sin has brought into the world. Yes? Amen. Okay. Hallelujah. Verse 6. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. Why do we see these details given to us? I think there's maybe a lot of things, but one primary thing is to show John was distinct. He was distinct from the other so-called religious leaders, right? The, the Pharisees of the day took very much pride in their flowing robes and their very particular hats. And this dude was running around in camel's hair with a belt, eating locusts and honey, okay? There's a very stark contrast between what he's doing and how he presents himself and how the rest of the religious, religious leaders present themselves. And I think it's fair to summarize it in at least one way by saying, John was weird. <laughs> that's, that's what the Bible's pointing out here. This brother was weird, okay? And, and there's also many, many applications we could draw from that, and we could, we could probably hang out on that for a long time, maybe preach a series on just that. But here's, what, here's just what I want to say to you right now today, because I'm, I'm trying to uh, keep this not an hour and a half John being weird for Jesus, I think we just need to, we, we, we need to get real comfortable with the reality that if you're going to be on team Jesus, if you're going to be about what Jesus is doing and you're going to believe things that Jesus has come and said and what his word says, you're going to be weird. You, and and here's, what, here's what I'm saying. If you're in the break room at work or you're out wherever you are in and, 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 and this day and age, in and, and this culture, and you say, um... Yeah, you know what? I, I, I believe the Bible is God's inspired word and like it has authority and should be obeyed. For a lot of people, you might as well be chomping on locusts right in front of them. For you to say, oh yeah, I, I believe the Bible's sexual ethic is correct and yeah, what, what the Bible teaches about human sexuality is true and good and, and is the best thing for human flourishing. You, you might as well be dipping locusts in wild honey just right in front of them you know, with camel hair on. It's It's weird. It, it, it stands out. It contrasts starkly with what many people have come to think is, is even good or normative. And so I guess I just want to encourage you to get comfortable with being weird for Jesus. If you're really going to be with him, you're, you're going to stand out. And you're going to be like a dude out in the wilderness all wild hair and, and wearing camel, uh, camel hair and eating locusts. Okay, so are you okay with being weird for Jesus? I know it's hard. But I'm, I'm asking you at least to, to pray about that and ask God to embolden you. Not, not, you don't have to try to, it's almost like some people try to be extra weird on purpose. You don't need to. You don't need, we're already weird. You know, we're all, we all love Jesus so much and love his church so much. We're sitting in here suffocating in mass so we can be together and gather and, and we're, sing, we're still singing. I don't even have glasses on. I felt like my eyes actually fogged somehow. That's weird, right? That's a, we, we, live, we, we don't do with, with our money and resources and time what, what other people do. 
what do you, what do you, what do you mean you, you give a bunch of your money to the, the, the purpose of the church and for the furthering of the gospel? Like, don't you know you could get a boat with that? That's weird. But we're going to be weird. We're going to believe weird things and we're going to do weird things. And, but I think part of why people responded to John was because of the contrast and the weirdness. Okay? So eat locusts if you want to, but that's not really the point. The point is we're going to stand out if we're going to follow the master. Amen. All right, back to more on humility, because I told you we can't get enough. Verses 7 and 8. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, we see this self-deprecation from John the Baptist saying, look, the one who is coming, I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. I, I shouldn't even touch his shoes. He is so much higher and greater and mightier than I am. But that's really interesting that that's John's position. Because if you go to Luke 7 and Matthew 11, what does Jesus say about John the Baptist? He, in a very poetic way, he says, there's no one greater than John. He says, no one's ever been born of woman greater than John the Baptist. So that's a pretty big deal. Greatest human ever, right? Right after Jesus. And yet, what is John's, what is John's position? What is his self-view? He, he doesn't spend a bunch of time focusing on the fact that he is this forerunner of Christ and, and in Jesus' words, greatest man to ever live, aside from Christ himself, he doesn't focus on that so much. What he's focused on is how great Jesus is, which keeps him in his place, right? And that's our problem a lot of times with our insecurity issues and our identity issues and, and whether we have too high of a view of ourselves or too low of a view of ourselves. The, the real key here is just, it's taking your eyes off yourself. That's the key of humility. It's not being an Eeyore and always down on yourself and always, you know, focusing. John didn't say, you know, oh, I'm weird, and I eat locusts, and no one likes me, and I don't have a very good personality. And, you know, that, that's not what he said. He, ju he just talked about who he was in contrast to Christ, right? His focus was on who Christ was, and that kept him from having an overestimation of his own importance. Because when you set your eyes upon the beauty and radiance and glory, might and majesty of King Jesus, you feel rightfully small. <laughs> you feel just how you should feel. Humbled. Amen. I, I thought there would be more raucous applause around that area about, you know, really drilling down about your humility. So I, I gotta, I'll rework that for next time. Amen. Verse 9. This is interesting. This really gives us an interesting question. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Does this, does, is a question mark popping up for anybody as I read that? Because we've already talked about what kind of baptism this was, Right? This was a baptism for the repentance of sins, okay? You know, you see those memes where it's like the lady's kind of staring off and there's all the math equations kind of ghost hanging there? Hold on. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is this, the, the sinless son of God. Why is he being baptized with John's baptism for the repentance of sins, okay? Uh, pretty famously here this last week, some commentator somewhere, I don't even, I can't remember the names, but just, just with all kinds of audacity, said, well, even Jesus wasn't perfect. It's like, <clears throat> my man, uh, that's, that's a real basic element of what Christians actually believe. Jesus was perfect. You guys cool with that? Everyone here's got that, right? Jesus was perfect. No sin. 
So the reason he was accepting John's baptism, and if you go to Matthew's account of it, it gets even, they they get into a little bit of a verbal tussle because John's like, hold on, I'm not not baptizing you. You baptize me. And Jesus says, permit it so all righteousness can be fulfilled. Okay, so why is Jesus submitting to this baptism? Well, all Jesus said about it was, Permitted at this time to fulfill all righteousness. He didn't give us any more commentary on it. Okay, so that's all we know for sure, but we don't know what that means for sure. But there's some things around it that are, are pretty strong possibilities. One thing is that it very much seems as if Jesus, in submitting to this, this baptism by John, it's part of him identifying as the Son of Man. He calls himself the Son of Man uh, most often in referring to himself during his time on earth. And so he's he's identifying with those who, whom he came to save. He's identifying with us in taking on this baptism and, 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 and giving an example in that and, and, setting a, and being a role model, even if he, did, he himself didn't need it in terms of being forgiven of sin, okay? So there's something in him identifying with us. Uh, as I said, in Matthew 3, he says it's to fulfill all righteousness. So there is something significant to why Jesus was baptized even if it's not super clear. But one thing we, we do know that, and again, this is, this is kind of a deep dive thing that if we weren't going verse by verse, we might miss. In Luke 1, it tells us that John was of the tribe of Levi, okay? And he was a direct descendant of Aaron's priestly line, okay? So in the Old Testament, there were priests who presided over the tabernacle and over the temple. They handled the sacrifices. One of their duties, the priests in the Old Testament... So John is a direct descendant of Aaron, right? And they were the only ones that were allowed to be priests. One of their duties was to present sacrifices to the Lord, okay? And so there, there's, there's a possibility here that in, to, this, to fulfill all righteousness, that this, this was something in, in, the man, in the mind and the plan of God, that in, in doing this, this was almost like how a priest would take a lamb or a bull and prepare it for sacrifice, that Jesus was being prepared. And, and, and what lends credence to this a little bit is the very next day, John comments uh, about, you know, he kind of, he's doing his herald job again, and what does he say? How does John address and point out that Jesus is coming? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we know that John already had this in his mind, and so there, there may be something to this reality that Jesus, in taking this baptism, it was as if the Lamb of God was being prepared for the sacrifice. Who I got, it, mm, I got chills just thinking about how beautiful and deep that is right there. I hope, I hope that's hitting you like it should. If it isn't, or I went too fast, or whatever, hit me up this week somehow, and, and, and we'll talk about it some more because that's deep and that's good. Mm, amen. Okay. Uh, the, the last thing I'll give you why why Jesus you know, took this, this baptism of John, is, is to show with crystal clarity and, and, and undeniably that God is uh, triune in his nature, that God is triune in his nature. This set up possibly the most vibrant, precious, beautiful example we have in all the scriptures. I said perhaps, some theologians may argue, I, I think this is it, view we have of the triune nature of God. So let's read verses 10 and 11. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending on him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. We have 
the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon Jesus. We have Jesus the Son being baptized. We have the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And we have a voice from heaven, the Father, saying, You are my Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is a very difficult verse for uh, heretics to argue against. And I, I don't, you guys know, I don't throw heretic out all the time. And I'm not, I'm not a, a heresy hunter. And that's, that's not, I don't think, our main purpose as Christians. But uh, it's really important that we understand God as triune in his nature. Um, and, and some will argue against that by saying, well, you know, the Bible doesn't say the word Trinity. Why do we say that? Well, Trinity is just, we're trying to describe God's nature, right? So we came up with a word. And, and for, those, for those that say, well, Trinity's not in the Bible, so I don't know, you know, you guys shouldn't be believing that or saying that, you know, that, that delegitimizes it somehow. I always like to say, well, here's maybe a problem with that line of thinking. The word Bible's not in the Bible. So what are you going to do with that? You going to chuck the Bible? The word Bible, who knows what the word Bible means? Go ahead, if you know it, say it out loud. Okay, well, you're going to learn something. Either that or you're scared. That's okay. Or you got a mask on, I couldn't hear you. The word Bible in Greek, it comes from Biblos or Latin, it comes from Biblia. Here's what it means. It's deep. You ready? Book. Or the books. What it definitely is not is a book. It's the books. Okay? That's it. We, but we had to have a word to describe the collection of God's divine writings. It's the books. Amen. So it's okay to say Bible, right? Trinity is like that. Trinity is our, you know, it's what the church has said from the beginning to try to describe this, this coherent string of the way that God's nature is presented in the scriptures. What does Trinity mean? It means that we have one God, right? There is one God. That's very clear throughout the scriptures. You got that? One God, but there's three distinct persons. The, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit they are three, and they are distinct, and yet they are one God. Anybody confused yet? Good, because I'm pretty sure that's part of what it's supposed to do, <laughs> is confuse us. Why is understanding the tr- the tri- that God is triune so important? Why, why did I say the word heretic? You know, there, it's very difficult to actually believe in the God of the Bible and to trust him for salvation if you do not understand him as triune. I'm not saying somebody can't be saved without you know, being able to say, oh yeah, God is one God and three persons and understand what we do understand about it in order to be saved. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that to deny that and to see God as, you know, like, like steam, water, and ice, you know, he's, he's kind of putting on different masks at different times. That's called modalism. The church throughout history has dealt with these heresies about God's nature. And it's very serious. We need to care about it and know that it's important. So we're going to take a minute to know why. Why is it important to understand God as triune? Uh, it is what is revealed in Scripture, first of all. I'm not, what I'm not going to do first when we talk about why it's important to understand God as triune is jump right into the practicalities of how it applies. The first and most important reason is because that's how the Bible presents God to be. This is the scriptural revelation we have of God's nature. It starts all the way at the beginning. In the beginning was God. That's Elohim, which is a plural for El. It's mind-boggling. Why? We're talking about one God, but we're talking in plural terms. When God makes man, he says, let us make man in our image. Who is he talking to? Not the angels. The other members of the Trinity. Amen. So it's what is revealed in scripture. I cannot, we could, 
And we can later if you want to, not right now. We can go through and look at all that. But one of the most vibrant examples is the fact that when Jesus goes down in the water, the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove. Jesus is in the water. There's a dove that is the Spirit of God descending on him. And then there's a voice from heaven saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Okay, so if God is, if Jesus is just this, this one God that puts on a mask at different times, you know, it's God the Father in the Old Testament, then Jesus pops up, and then now it's time for him to turn into the Holy Ghost. If that's what's happening, then what's happening here? Right? There's, I mean, there's people that try to kind of make fun of Trinitarian doctrine because it is mind-blowing. You know, they say yeah, well, Christians believe, you know, one plus one plus one equals three, or one plus one plus one equals one. Like, okay, that's a cool argument, but here's what's, you know, let's think about it this way. Uh, one times one times one times one still equals one. And I think multiplication makes a lot more sense in addition when we're talking about the creator, God. Are you all right with that? Amen. Get better arguments if you're coming to me about it, because I'm, I'm going to get you. What, what, why else is it important? So now I'm going to switch to practicalities. Again, I think part of why understanding God in his triune nature, why he's revealed himself that way, is to keep us humble. I've heard this quote attributed to Augustine, but there's debate on whether he actually said it. So we'll just say, somebody said this. They said, try to understand the Trinity you lose your mind. Deny it, and you lose your soul. Try to understand the Trinity, you lose your mind. But deny it, you lose your soul. And here's, here's, here's my point. Do, do I understand how incongruent the idea is that there's one God with three distinct persons? Do I understand how absolutely mind-bending that idea is? Yes, I absolutely do. And I think it's really good for us. Because when we think about, you know, we, we like things we can control and understand. I think that's where a lot of heresies about God's nature comes from. It's people trying to make what the Bible clearly lays out here, that we've got one God, but, but there's, there's three persons there. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit trying to make that make sense. But can we just be okay that it doesn't make sense? Can we go farther than being okay that it doesn't make sense? And can we get down on our knees and just acknowledge his majesty? And every single time we think about the simple nature of God as triune, do, do we end up back in awe and worship at how much bigger and greater and more splendid he is than we are? How about that? It humbles us in yet another way, in a way that's good for us. Amen. Verses 12 and 13. We'll read those one more time. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beast, and the angels were ministering to him. There is a nod here. Again, something that we'd have to be kind of going slow through these scriptures to point out and notice. There's a nod to the role of Jesus as the second Adam. Okay, and it's it's hard to see at first glance. I'm going to tell you what the nod is, and I'm going to re- then I'm going to explain to you if you haven't heard the terminology second Adam or you don't understand why that's significant. I'm going to take a second and show you. Okay, but first of all, I want I want you to see why I'm saying there's a nod here when it says that he was uh, he was out there being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild beasts. There's there's a connotation in the language there that Jesus was with the animals. 
in, in, in this in this peaceable way, much like Adam would have been before sin entered the world. You know, Adam was in charge of the garden. He named all the animals. He would have had a different relationship with the animal kingdom than we do now because sin has entered the world and the world is broken. And so this, in, in this language that's used, it's the idea that Jesus was out there with all the wild beasts, but it wasn't a problem. That, it, that there was, he, very much he was, he, was, he was with them and like, you know, I'm not saying it was an animal party. I'm not saying, you know, it was like Winnie the Pooh. I'm not saying, who's seen Guy on a Buffalo? I'm not saying that Jesus was out there riding the animals and stuff. If you've seen Guy on a Buffalo, it's a YouTube video. Just raise your hand. I want to know if I'm alone. Okay. If you haven't seen Guy on a Buffalo, let me offer you this gift. Go check it out. It's good, clean fun. It's just a guy riding a buffalo with some dub over music, but man, it makes me giggle. So that's for you. And, and you'll get this reference better. I'm not saying Jesus was out there, guy on a buffalo, and it, you know, just riding around all the animals, and it was like, like he's, you know, Thane Maynard or uh, Steve Irwin or whatever, God rest his soul. Uh, but, but there's this idea that when he's out here being tempted in the wilderness, because of, of, of who he was, like nature recognized their master. Yeah, that's good. That's a good way to say it right there. I'm glad you liked it too. So why, why does, so this points us and gives us this nod towards Jesus being the second Adam. And what do I mean by that? Why is that significant? Oh, it's real significant. Let me read you this. This is from Romans 5, just a couple verses. Uh, verse 17 starting, it says, For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through the one, Adam, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And so we see this, this juxtaposition throughout the scriptures of, of Adam and Jesus and how Jesus is the second Adam and the better Adam, the one who, didn't, who, who basically did the job Adam didn't do. Come on. So then as though one transgression, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Jesus is the second Adam. And he came and did what Adam didn't do. And it's through Adam's disobedience we all became sinners, but it's through Christ's obedience that we can all become sons and daughters, that we can be made righteous. Why Jesus say? When John argued with him and said, I don't want to baptize you, you baptize me. What did he say? Do it. So all righteousness may be fulfilled. That's what God's about. That's what he's been doing. We had our righteous standing with God removed and stained by sin. But Jesus came to restore it, to give it back to us. Amen. Now, the back half of 13, so we, we see it's, it's so deep. Because in, in him being with the animals, there's this nod to his humanity and his connection to us and how he's the second Adam. But then in, in, in the very same breath, it says, and the angels were ministering to him. So again, there's this other contrast you might miss. It's like, yes, he, he is the son of man. He is, he is the, the perfect, you know, he's like, like beast master from back in the day, right? He's, he's, he's perfect and, and the creation sees and understands who their master is, but then also angels were ministering to him. And so yes, he is the son of man, but also, I mean, when was the last time angels came and just took care of you, right? Like his divinity, 
it's right there. It's showing you both those things. It's, and all these words are important. These little, these little contrasts are there on purpose. So the back half of 13 is showing Jesus' divinity that, yes, he's, he's hanging out with the animals, but also angels are ministering to him. And, and, and so what does that, what does that mean? What, do we, what, we, what we see in this and, and what is, is pointed out is that Jesus is the eternal son of God. And so he's fully God. And yet at the same time, he's fully man. And that is another mystery. It's like the Trinity. How does, how does that union of, of God and man, how does that all exactly work? Again, it's a place, it's, what it's meant to do, is, I, I don't believe, is for us to, to try to make it make sense. It's one of those places where in, we got a choice. We either doubt because I can't understand how that works, or we worship because we realize it's above our pay grade. <laughs> we got a choice every single time. The beauty of seeing Christ as both Son of Man and Son of God, both human and divine, it, it leads us to a summary statement that is, it's a, it's a gospel statement, but it, it's, it's beautiful. It's this, it's that the Son of God became a Son of Man, so sons of men could become sons of God. Can I say that to you one more time? The Son of God became a Son of Man, so sons of men could become sons of of God. And friend, that, that encapsulates the beauty of the gospel in all its richness and beauty and depth. It's precious that the Son of God would do all that he did, submit to all that he did. Him submitting to that baptism in the dirty Jordan River to, to show that he was relating to us, the fact that he was tempted by the devil. Friend, does that bring some comfort to you that, that that Jesus himself was tempted just like we are, that he understands. He's not, he's not the God that you sometimes imagine who's, who's sitting up in heaven with a bucket of lightning bolts just waiting for you to screw up so he can zap you. This Jesus whom we love and whom we worship, he, he was hungry, he was thirsty, he was tempted by the devil himself, and yet with no sin. He did all that was necessary so that he could be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen. That's our hope. And that is the message we are called to herald. And so we need to, we need to be people that make a way in our own hearts, that stay fully aware that, that the repentance that, that we had, that, that the time that we first realized we were sinners before God, the first time we repented and received the good news of the gospel, that's not the end of that process. That forever we have to continue plowing down the hills and building bridges and, and making roads into our own heart, preparing a way for the Lord. And that part of our call as followers of Jesus is to be road builders for others. Friends, you get to do, how privileged are we that we get to join and do what John the Baptist did? We get to make a way for the Lord. And so you get to do that in your home, with your family. You get to do that in your workplace, at your school, wherever you are. Will you, will you grab a hold? Will you, will you feel the honor and the weight, the glorious weight of being called a herald? An ambassador is the word that we, we see later. An ambassador of reconciliation, letting people know that the Son of God became a Son of Man so that they could be sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. May we walk in a manner worthy of that great and noble calling. Praise God. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, we ask you to help us walk in a manner worthy of this noble calling. Thank you for these first 13 verses of Mark. Lord, I, I just take a, 
I want to take a minute right now with my family around me and, and joining their faith with me. God, I ask you to help me. Um, I, I don't believe you want us to take five years to do this sermon series, so I need your help to know uh, <laughs> and to see with all the beauty and the depth of your scriptures as we go slow uh, and we look at each one. God, what, what to say? There's, there's so many more things I could have said even today in these 13 verses. God, I ask you to just... Anoint me and give me wisdom. I, I want to feed your sheep the food that you want them to eat that's going to nourish them the best and help them the most to serve you and honor you and do what it is you made them to do. So please, God, um, please help me with that. But please help us, God, to respond humbly to what we heard today. Help us respond humbly. to the, Help us respond in, in humility and in awe, God. That we have access to put so many crazy things in front of our eyes this day and age. It's like nothing leaves us in awe anymore. But God, as we stare into the beauty and the depth of all that you've done in sending Christ and all that he did, Lord, um, when, we, when we spin the beautiful jewel of your gospel and we contemplate it, please, please break us again. Please remove the scales from our eyes and help us to be in awe once more. Awestruck humility is the right posture to approach you. You are the one true God. You are worthy of our adoration and our admiration. Lord, overcome us once again with the revelation of your love. May we be so excited about it, but we can't help but step into that job of being heralds and ambassadors. Help us to be good road builders in our own hearts and for others. God, help us see ourselves as removing stumbling blocks and things in the way that would stop people from coming and knowing and truly being able to enjoy and love and worship the God who made them. Lord, may we again today see our need for repentance. If, if somebody's within the sound of my voice and they've never acknowledged that they are a sinner in need of repentance. God, may they come to that point today. If someone is within the sound of my voice and, and thousands and tens of thousands of times has acknowledged that they're a sinner and in need of a Savior, God, may, may we be there again today afresh, humbled underneath the truth of your word and the might of your hand and the presence of your spirit. Please keep doing in us what you've promised to do. You're holy and perfect and faithful and wonderful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.